Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. I'm your host, Marty Bennett, and today on the Roundup for Wednesday, January 10th, 2024, we're going to be answering three questions we've been hearing from international educators over the past seven days. And as we do each week, we take the questions that we ask from our newsletter that comes out every Monday, and there are two forms you can get that newsletter in. You can subscribe through our website at smieconsulting.org slash subscribe. And I'll be dropping the link to that chat, uh, to that uh, website in the chat. And we, if you prefer to uh, get your email news or your international ed news via email, uh, there is a link uh, on that site where you can s submit your information and subscribe to the email version of that newsletter. I'll drop the link to the, this most recent edition from Monday in the chat as well. Uh, that uh, newsletter comes out in email version at 9 a.m. Eastern every Monday. Uh, that's not a holiday. And the other version is in LinkedIn, if you prefer your international ed news that way, uh, you can get your uh, LinkedIn version, uh, which now has between the two versions uh, over 1,600 uh, subscribers. Very excited to have crossed that 1,600 threshold and uh, happy to be providing uh, this kind of content to international educators around the world every Monday. And these the themes of the newsletter are centered around two, two main uh, areas, social media and international education. Uh, that's the name of the company, SMIE, Social Media and International Education Consulting. And what we do uh, is in the newsletter present our quick takes, our hot takes on key news stories in social media, international education, and often where those overlap and provide those to you uh, in our kind of bite-sized social media chunks that you can get in the newsletter and then throughout the week on our social media platforms, each individual story. And then what we do is we take a look at the newsletter each week and we pick some themes we see running through those uh, news stories and focus on those here on the Roundup, our, inter our inter international education live chat every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern time to go a little bit more in depth and to kind of share how these news stories can and do impact and should, in a lot of cases, impact what we do in international education in the United States in particular. Uh, though we do have folks uh, who listen in regularly either live for our uh, for the live chats on Wednesdays at 1 across our social channels or on repeat on any of them or listening to the audio-only podcast. And thanks, everybody, for downloading that and subscribing to that feed as well. So the first question of the day is, are international students really a top CBP priority right now? And when I say should they be, it's really should they be a top CBP priority in terms of enforcement and nitpicking and going next level on some uh, on some on students who have legitimately been awarded visas at a U.S. consulate or embassy overseas, gone through myriads of security checks, now get to the border and all of a sudden get into secondary or turned around, have previously been in, allowed entry into the United States for their studies and then being refused entry and, and sent home. Those are troubling stories anytime we hear, hear them. We heard them during uh, the time after 9-11. We heard them after Trump introduced his travel bans in 2020, uh, in 2017, in January 2017, the day after his inauguration. Uh, so we wonder, 
when we hear these stories, and it usually happens in the fall and right before classes begin in a lot of college campuses, and it always happens in the spring and January to a lesser extent, but uh, we've been hearing some stories uh, lately, uh, particularly uh, related to Chinese students being uh, targeted at the border. And there's a couple of different uh, articles I'll be posting here for you. First is from uh, China Daily, which is the Chinese Communist Party mouthpiece uh, for news related to, um, to any, anything China in the world. And that obviously takes a very damning view of, uh, of the U.S. Uh, US's, um, attitude towards Chinese students. And like anything, uh, it gets blown completely out of proportion. Uh, when it, when it comes to coverage and uh, the the um, the uh, disgrace that it brings on on China, that a country as powerful as the U.S. would turn away these 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 students and all of that. So uh, the real issues here with this uh, with this article, uh, and we have we've seen this a couple different times where. Um, uh, where uh, the China Re Review News says it's reported that recently when entering the U.S. border, several Chinese students suffering from lengthy interrogations and their cell phones, computers, and other electronic devices were inspected. Some of them saw their visas revoked and were given five-year bans for entering the United States. Uh, and so uh, this, it, it, they, in, this is an interview with Wang Wenbin, uh, one of the Chinese uh, Communist Party leaders, um, and I think maybe the foreign minister now, I'm not sure. Uh, basically, this, uh, the, the government rep official says, the U.S. has long been wantonly suppressing and ill-treating Chinese students traveling to the U.S. with lawful and valid identifications and visas. And there, that's, that's, that, there's a lot of truth to that. It was certainly what's going on during the Trump administration when uh, the China Initiative was launched and uh, that it puts uh, any Chinese students that had um, were applying for high-tech or STEM visas in, uh, from military complex, uh, civil military fusion uh, institutions, universities in China were under increasingly high levels of scrutiny and often denied visas out of hand before they even applied. But these are students that, have, that are being stopped at the border by CBP. Now, this is a philosophical question I have for, for my colleagues here. And there's also uh, an article from, uh, from uh, that uh, Kat, uh, Karen Fisher from the Chronicle has, uh, has, has, indi has indicated that has this interview story. But it's really um, a, bit of a, a bit of a challenge to really disagree too much. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of hyperbole that's used in uh, these, these reports. And... Uh, I oftentimes uh, take it with a grain of salt in terms of the reality of it, but there are have been Chinese students who, in recent weeks who have been denied entry, who previously had been in the U.S. in study, uh, in study, uh, studying in the U.S. at, at, deg at degrees seeking, uh, at doing degrees at U.S. colleges and universities that were sent home. So this is a reality. It's happened, and I question. The, the resources that are used by the federal government in this manner. When you have to look no further than what's happening on our southern border, and it, does, it only takes two eyes, one eye, to see what's happening there. It's an open door. There are uh, the, the, the amount of Border Patrol officers in the last three years that have been committed to actually patrolling the border 
uh, has dropped dramatically. They've been basically assigned a lot of paperwork to process all these people not actually doing enforcement of laws. Uh, that, that is a priority at the southern border that does not exist anymore, enforcing the laws that are on the books. Uh, and even it, and this is very much even a bipartisan issue now. And uh, members of uh, of, uh, of of the president's own party are rallying against the policies of the government, the current U.S. government, uh, as it relates to the southern border and the impact it is having not only in that region and in districts on the border, but across the country, in sanctuary cities in New York, Chicago, Denver, other cities around the country that have been the destinations for a lot of these uh, migrants uh, coming into the United States, uh, that uh, 75 percent or more of those that have been let in, the 12 million that have been let in in the last year, uh, without papers, without uh, claiming uh, claiming asylum, most of them or economic refugees or whatever it might be, uh, if they're caught at all, uh, most it's catch and release into the country. Uh, most, the greater majority, are let into the country and no one knows where they are. Uh, they have maybe a phone number of where they might be going, of the person who they're, they're maybe staying with, whatever. But it's cartels getting getting these people in. It's uh, the, allowing the fentanyl that's been flooding the country in the last uh, decade to really have unlimited access into the U.S. Um, and the country is suffering for it. But uh, the administration has not prioritized that southern border and has allowed millions into the country who do not have a legitimate reason to be here. Uh, yet we have students who have gone through a rigorous visa process at the U.S. consulate and embassy in their home country, in this case China, that have gotten legitimate visas, have had to go through significant screening, security screening and, and checks to even get to the point where they get a visa, that have traveled legally to the United States on a plane, have got the right, all the right documentation, some of which, some of whom have already been in the United States studying, and they are basically targeted by over-aggressive CBP officers. Uh, who uh, s will find a post that somebody s might have said on, on their WeChat account that might be uh, anti-U.S., and all of a sudden they're targeted. This, isn't, this is different from uh, international students who come and uh, ad openly advocate and support Hamas, a terrorist organization. Those students can and should be removed from the country. That's just my opinion. Most of my colleagues in the profession would support that, that you can't openly espouse association with a known terrorist organization and legitimately be allowed in the United States because you're, you're, those, are, those are values, terrorists, terrorists, who, uh, terrorists around the world who have committed such, such atrocities are, should not be, students who, who openly support and advocate for Hamas goals should not be uh, allowed in the country. They should be removed. The Chinese students that are coming in, they've liked a post that is anti-American. This is not. This is different from from supporting a terrorist organization. China and the U.S. have been in conflict for years, uh, socially, politically. Uh, this is not news, and espousing those views are not something we should we should openly we should prevent from allowing into our country. Uh, this is this is not uh, and liking a post is, is is not grounds for dismissal. Uh, so this, these are there's a lot of over 
eagerness on the part of certain CBP officers as it comes when it comes to uh, screening of uh, international students. Uh, we they all say that we don't we don't want to let the next 9/11 uh, terrorist into the country. Well, we know that there are, have been terrorists on the watch list that have been let into the country, uh, terrorist watch list you know, in, across the southern border because it's an open door now. That's they're not going to be coming in legally, having gone through the process that they have to go through, and and expect them to be caught. So, this is a rant, and I recognize that right off the top, but. I would call, uh, urge for our CBP officers to really think about what they're doing when they're interrogating our interna international students who have already gone through very rigorous screening processes to get to the point where they're at the border, where they've traveled for a day, they're tired, they just want to get to their college or university. So it's a rant. I recognize it. I, I hope that you can under, understand and appreciate that. There's a little bit of a disconnect going on in terms of policies for CBP officers at airports related to international students as it relates to these Chinese students that have been uh, uh, sent home recently or versus what's happening at the southern border. Why, why is that priority so much different and use of resources so much more focused on getting international students who have gone through all the right processes to come into this country legally? That's my question. Okay, on to the next next topic of the day, and that is how international student friendly are U.S. job ads. Now, we talk about on our campuses when because we actually have control over these things. We talk about the fact that in the United States um, there are many more opportunities uh, for international students uh, in terms of the universities that they have to they can attend to uh, the job opportunities, the kinds of uh, careers that they can pursue once they're done with their degrees, that they have, uh, particularly in the STEM fields, three years of work permission per degree level, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral level, that they can do in the United States and get that work permission. So a student who comes and finishes a bachelor's degree and goes all the way through to PhD could work legally in student status for up to nine years if they're a STEM student. That's, that's incredible. But the challenge is, and this is something that we have little direct control over on our campuses because we're not the ones, unless we're hiring students as professors if they've done the doctorate or, or as employees, if they have particular talents that we could use, we can use the H-1B uh, exemption that uh, universities and educational institutions have to hire as many as they want. But uh, the challenge is for the greater majority of international students who want to work in the United States, uh, they have a very challenging time finding jobs, uh, sorting through all the jobs that are available, and there are hundreds and thousands of jobs available, they have a hard time sorting through them all because there uh, aren't many of them that explicitly say they are open to hiring international students. And this is something that I proposed when I first did my first visit to UNLV. This is almost three years ago now, three years ago this coming May. Uh, where we had a group of our, our, our colleagues uh, in different service offices around campus and had a conversation with the career services person uh, and had asked a couple questions to find out what the, where, where they are with their current services that are specific to international students. And they don't, they, at the time, they didn't have anything. And I asked them, well, we ha you have job fairs on campus, three or four job fairs a year, right? No, oh, yeah, multiple job fairs. And you have literally hundreds of employers that are coming to campus every year to interview our students and potentially hire them, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So 
we have a subset of our students. We have first-gen students that we're, we cater to. We have military vets that we cater to. We have uh, various uh, minority campus uh, student groups on campus. Uh, uh, we're a Hispanic-serving institution and an Anapizi institution. So we have student groups that we do things for uh, that we, and provide services for because they are at a disadvantage, first-gen students, uh, minority students, whatever vets, whatever it is, so that they have special needs that we can help, um, help them get what they need. International students are no different. They have a different set of needs as well, and they need to know, uh, and they have a very different set of needs because there are legal hurdles that they have to face that no other student group does on campus other uh, than maybe perhaps the uh, undocumented dreamers. And that would be uh, working for companies that actually can hire, will, can and will hire them. And I asked, well, what if we asked on our application to participate of all these companies, do you hire international students on OPT? Uh, if do you know what OPT is, maybe it's another question. But, and also, do you, uh, will you sponsor students for H-1B visas? Those two answers to those two questions alone can cut the list of companies down from maybe 300, maybe down to 50 or 60 that actually will say, yes, we will consider hiring international students either for OPT and or H-1B. So this, this is a simple question that you add that to an application for companies that are participating in job fairs on your campus. Suggest so this to your career services folks. Get that list so that when an student, international student comes to a fair, and whether it's an online app or paper, paper form, they can see an asterisk next to the companies that, oh, they will hire international students. So they can focus their time and effort to going around to the 50 or 60 that will hire international students rather than going around to all 300 and getting 250 no's before they get to the one that might help them. So this is something that we do, we do have control over that. We can influence and affect the resources that we and opportunities we present to our current students. So that's one, one thing that uh, we can do as institutions. What we can't do is write the job descriptions for or the job ads that companies out there have for prospective employers, employees. Now, this is a part of an educational process that maybe needs to happen with local employers that you can work with your International Student and Scholar Services Office and your Career, career Service or Professional Development Office to work together to educate the employers that are coming to campus. So you do pre-job uh, pre fair uh, orientations for students, maybe do pre-job fair appointments for the employers that are coming in. And maybe do that months in advance so that they're prepped for, to be able to handle questions from international students if, been, if they haven't already come to you for any advice on that. So the, these are steps that you can take to control what goes on outside of your campus environment in terms of empl for employment opportunities for students in your areas. So I would uh, the, the reason for this question really comes out of, a, of an article uh, that was in the Pi News this past week that uh, focuses on uh, a headline, only 1.6% of job, U.S. job openings have international talent-friendly wording. And this is an important distinction here. Uh, for those who are familiar with uh, the uh, student agency, educational agency, Whole Wren, uh, they have developed a, kind of a um, post-study uh, work, uh, post-study work of version, a company connected to it called uh, F1 Hire. And they have built an AI database of jobs uh, that scrolls all the job uh, openings out there on LinkedIn and various other job boards. And then 
does uh, does homework on those companies to see if they do uh, have um, ha have hired international students, puts that in there, puts salaries, salary requirements and all of that for international students in there. So that is a, is a service that they provide, F1 Hire. Uh, I've, uh, I've known Andrew Chen for a few years now, and uh, this is a new, again, a new company they've launched in the last year. And this, is, this article is kind of a promo for them. But uh, the, the, the point of, isn't necessarily what's in the article, but is that with only 1.6% of U.S. job openings ads have wording that would be attractive to international students, and he has a couple things in the article that he suggests what those are and can and should be. This is sort of a template for us. Uh, and, our, and working with our career services offices as international offices, working together to make sure that our students have access to the best information available for future students who are looking to go uh, on into the workplace uh, in your area. So that's obviously something you can, can have some influence on by communicating with your perspective, your employers that do come to campus regularly, by doing workshops with them. If you are, if for those who sign up on your form and say they do hire, uh, maybe that's a, a including a, a workshop for them on ads that they can write. That would, if if they want to attract international talent, uh, to have wording that would be better reflective of the kind of employees that they want to hire. Uh, to, to open that door for, for international students. So that's something that I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with this concept that we can be doing more with companies who, uh, who hire our students on a regular basis to work with them to help make it their, their kinds of jobs that they have that they can hire international students for, make them uh, make the postings for those jobs a little bit more relevant for an international student audience as well. So it helps them increase the range of potential candidates that they can get and better qualified candidates if they know that if international students know that they are they are sought after by these companies or at least uh, will not be refused by these companies. So I think that there's a lot of value there. So great read. Um, I would encourage just learning more about this this concept. Uh, uh, and, the comp and the company F1 Hire. It's a subscription service that uh, colleges can and career services offices can can use uh, to uh, provide options for opportunities for their students to access the database. No, students are not charged for the service. So uh, in terms of the last topic of the day, uh, we have we have it uh, one that we've been seeing some of the impacts of this uh, based on government decisions that were made in the last six months that are now starting to uh, bear some very uh, very poor fruit, poor harvest, I sh can we say that? Uh, the first, uh, the topic of the, or the question is, what happens when government policy impacts key sending markets? And we're gonna look ex specifically here at two countries, Canada and the UK. Uh, we know that in Canada's case, uh, they had a very significant uh, row last summer with India. Uh, there was uh, a Sikh nationalist who was a Canadian resident uh, had uh, was uh, was assassinated in Canada, and the Canadian government believes uh, that it was perpetrated by Indian nationals, or in, uh, well, how, how do we say it, uh, by operatives for the Indian government. Uh, the, the proof hasn't been revealed or shared or any of that, but that's the allegation that was made by the Canadian government. And that has caused a significant rift between Canada and India politically. 
Uh, there has, was a, a diplomatic tit-for-tat uh, that Canada kicked out a certain number of uh, Indian diplomats, and then India did the same for Canadian diplomats. Uh, the challenge has been, uh, for those who aren't aware, uh, India is, chi is Canada's number one market uh, and has been for at least three or four years. Uh, and as a result, uh, there was fears uh, that the um, study permit folks, the diplomats who do the study permit processing in India, were because they had been kicked out, they, they weren't going to be able to, uh, to uh, keep up with all the study permit processing that they needed to get students in for the fall and then uh, now for the spring as well. So well, the reality of what's happened is this was seen by many in Canada, uh, uh, that what, what happened as, well, India is not playing well with us anymore. Uh, but in India, it was seen a couple different ways. It was seen by the government as, well, we're kicking some of your diplomats out who do study permit processing, so you can find a way to f uh, figure out how that's going to happen now. I think they were down to 10% or 25% of their staffing to, to actually do study permits uh, processing in, in the peak season this summer. Now that uh, they were relocated to to other other countries or back in China to back in in Canada to do the processing, so they were still doing it, but just remotely. But the in-country stuff wasn't happening at nearly the volume that it needed to. But the reality is the damage was already done. Uh, this this uh, diplomatic spat was seen taken personally by a lot of Indians, uh, prospective Indian students. There have also been some high-profile. Uh, issues with some of the vocational colleges in Canada in terms of their uh, over-enrollment of students or having to revoke uh, offers of admission uh, that the students that have come have uh, gotten uh, deported uh, or sent home, a variety of different reasons, that a good number from India. That many of these private vocational colleges are 90% or more Indian students. A couple of those have closed in Quebec. M College is one of them. Others in Ontario province having similar challenges with oversubscription from for or Indian students in these vocational programs that really are just pathways for these Indians uh, looking to come, do a quick study, and then uh, go into the Canadian uh, economy as, uh, as, well, as workers and potentially residents eventually. So this, uh, this, this pathway is now uh, becoming less popular. Uh, shall we say. You've also had the Canadian government changing the amount of funding that uh, uh, every international student who wants to get a study permit has to show increasing from $10,000 to $20,000 Canadian dollars, um, which is ironic that that's what everybody has to show regardless of what the price of the institution they're going to attend is. So uh, that is a, a, a legitimate way by the Canadian government to make sure that that more students, the, the, the students that they are giving study permits to, at least have enough money to, to survive on uh, during, uh, during the academic year. Um, so that's, that's, that's a little bit of a challenge. But the challenge for, the, for Canada now is they, they have, uh, their, their numbers have, have dropped off significantly. Uh, that uh, the number of study permit applications processed for Indians is down over 40% since July as a result of this diplomatic route. And that's gonna have a bottom line effect on all of these vocational colleges and universities that rely on these Indian students. There's gonna be further uh, challenges ahead with the new trusted or designated institutional framework that they're introducing in Canada, where institutions who um, maybe don't have a, as great a reputation will get lower priority in terms of visa, study permit processing and um, may even be um, taken or 
eventually taken off the list of ability that have the ability to receive these international students, which is a death knell for most of those private colleges. So uh, there's the numbers are dropping from India, the key mark, key number one market for for Canada. Uh, there is some. There's another article that uh, was in the newsletter this week that shows that some other countries are starting to pick up the slack a little bit for the significant drop off in Canada. Some from Africa, some from other, some other regions as well. But the damage is really being done in a key market. So government policy is having a direct impact on uh, student flows from the, one of the biggest, the biggest market for Canada. The flip side of this in the UK is the dependent ban that went into, a, into effect January 1st, where no longer uh, students who are master's degrees or bachelor's degree candidates cannot bring dependents with them, fam family members with them, spouse or children, cannot accompany a student unless you're a doctoral level student in the, U in the UK. So uh, the two countries that were the biggest receivers of those dependent visas in the last uh, five years in the UK were from Nigeria and India. So India is going to be taking a little bit of a hit, but Nigeria especially. The numbers from uh, from UK uh, for for student student visas from Nigeria to the UK uh, for this past uh, for this year on year numbers from January uh, or December uh, to last December to this December uh, were down 76 percent for uh, student visa issuance in Nigeria uh, going to the UK. So direct result of that migrant uh, or that excuse me that uh, dependent uh, ban uh, visa ban. So. Uh, Government policy absolutely has uh, an impact and can have a, a key, a dramatic impact on the uh, key sending markets if government policy goes the goes the way against uh, uh, these key markets and that where that what the majority of them have come for, then you're going to see the drop offs. So these are, these are things that you can't plan for necessarily as an international educator, but it, it just reinforces the need for a greater diversification of markets in terms of where we recruit students from. Uh, we saw this uh, starting in the mid-teens mid when Saudi Arabia cut off their scholarship uh, programs to non-top 200 schools in the world. Uh, that meant most of the U.S. colleges that have been getting plenty of Saudis uh, into their English language programs and then degree programs saw significant drop-offs. If you weren't already prepared by having a diverse uh, pool of where other students were coming from, you were really hit hard. Many English language programs that relied on Saudis and Brazilians on scientific mobility programs uh, were uh, were closed as a result because uh, those were the two primary sources. Uh, Brazil's coming back uh, and as the number one source of English intensive English program students in the United States now, so maybe that will rebound. But there was a period there for and then the pandemic uh, where English language programs were really hitting rock bottom. Uh, so that's a result of government policy changes or in terms of what was allowed and what wasn't. So absolutely this is a, a government policy impacts negatively and positive, positively. Uh, you can see both of those. So certainly Canada enjoyed the positive side of that in terms of government policy years ago when they introduced a very clear stream for study to work to residency. Uh, but that's his, that, the glow of that is perhaps wearing off a bit. And uh, my colleagues at North of the Border have, will privately share that, uh, that they're concerned. Uh, so we'll see if, if, that, if there's change down the road. Uh, coming, at least for um, the college sector there will be, but uh, universities should be, should be okay. Well, that's all, the, all that we have for you today on the Roundup. Appreciate you taking the time to visit with us, watch us live or on repeat, and thanks again to everyone who's listening to the audio-only podcast. Until next week, wish you the very best. Cheers.